0: the spiritual heritage, the, the health of a church can get destroyed. And the way that that can happen that we're going to address today would be to have division in the church. I, th- I think all of us have seen churches split and or churches that have never had any kind of a unity. Unity. And when you look at it, usually what happens when a church splits or a church is is having problems of unity is they either disintegrate completely or they languish in this sort of a malaise, deceiving themselves into believing that they're... Uh, not as bad off as they really are. Uh, uh, We have back in in Alabama some churches that that used to be thriving churches, huge. And when you go there now, there's just a a little group left, and they want to deceive themselves into thinking everything's going well, when actually it's kind of a cold, dead, informal type atmosphere. And and we don't want business as usual in the church, do we? We, we want the Holy Spirit working. We want God pleased with the ministry. And Paul here, the, the passage that Kenny read, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth because it was heading that way. It was heading towards division. The people in the church were following human leaders. Paul, Apollos, uh, Cephas, which is, is Peter, in case you didn't know. Um, Paul says the root of all this division is that they had carnality and they had worldliness in their lives. And in carnality, their chief desire was to please themselves. And in their worldliness, they were trying to adapt worldly earthly methods for ministry. And you look around at the church today and you see one church after another full of people trying to please themselves. I want worship that pleases me and I want to use the worldly methods, marketing methods to get it done. And this is always a temptation A carnal Christian wants to worship God in his style of music. Sermons that inspire and exhilarate. I want the funny pastor. I want the exhilarating pastor. I want the guy that's not confrontational. I want Sunday school classes that are no more than life tips or self-help. A worldly Christian is not satisfied with gospel work. They do not have confidence in the gospel to change lives and grow churches. They, disp- they depend instead on worldly methods such as promotion and prestige and marketing and branding and, and the influence of money and important people coming in. Look, our church has these people in it. Our church has this kind of a budget and so on and so forth. But listen very carefully. The church depends on prayer. Prayer. The church depends upon the power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, and humility in your life and sacrifice and service. These are the things that make a church that's full of the Holy Spirit that God's pleased with, isn't it? The church that imitates the world may seem to succeed for a time, but it'll turn to ashes when you get to eternity. So in the, in the pinnacle of what Kenny read today is the pinnacle of, of Paul's argument. And what he said in this, in this passage is that there are two secondary causes of division. There, there's the two spiritual ones, carnality and worldliness, but there's two secondary causes. One is exalting human wisdom, and the other is exalting human leaders, and chapter 3 that we are finishing up has been all about exalting human leaders. If you look at uh, the first four verses of chapter 3, Paul says that exalting human leaders uh, shows carnality and immaturity. In, in verses 5 to 9, Paul says that to exalt human leaders shows a misunderstanding of spiritual ministry. In the next little section, in verses 10 to 17, Paul says that to exalt human leaders shows a misunderstanding of rewards and a misunderstanding of God. God's the one who judges a shepherd's work by how closely he, the shepherd adheres to the wisdom of God instead of using worldly techniques and his faithfulness in ministry and the motives of his heart. And so... Now, once again, let's just think about something. 20 years down the road for Providence Bible Church, let's think that far in advance, okay? If the church is going to have a wonderful spiritual heritage, one where people are coming to the Lord, one where people are growing in the Lord, then we have to ask this question, what do we do to avoid division? Because that's always a a a possibility in the church. And Paul gives us five things that we're going to cover very quickly today in the message. The first thing he says is that we need to think properly about human wisdom. Look at verse number 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In the matters of spiritual ministry, Human wisdom is foolishness. Now what Paul is not talking about, he's not talking about science and mathematics and and economics and all that sort of stuff. He is talking about using human wisdom to perform spiritual ministry. And where human wisdom becomes foolish and useless is in matters concerning salvation and spiritual truth and matters about God. I just want you to realize Paul in no uncertain terms says this, that human wisdom has no way of discovering spiritual truth. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him he is not able to understand them. Why? Because those things are spiritually concerned. And so therefore, if you want to know about God, know about spiritual things, you go about it in a spiritual way. You read your Bibles. You study Scripture. You pray and you obey God and serve Him. In reality, if you think about it, humans, Christians, have no right to, to their own opinions about spiritual matters. Sounds kind of rough, doesn't it? You don't have any right to your own opinion in spiritual matters. Now, before you go too far with that, let me finish out this statement by saying this. You have to form your opinions by the truth revealed in Scripture. That way, you're not relying upon your own opinion. I, I remember there's this, um, uh, it was tragic actually, but there was a guy in my previous church who always disagreed with me on things of spiritual truth. And he, would, he always got really heated when he, when he would talk to me. And no matter how hard I tried to keep it at a low level, it never stayed at a low level. And he'd always look at me and he would say, my opinion's just as valid as yours and i would look at him and say no it's not <laughs> <laughs> because your opinion is not informed by scripture your opinion is informed by the news or whatever else and it would just anger him so much that i would say that and he could not understand that his opinion doesn't matter if it's not informed by scripture you you follow scripture do you do you understand what i mean when i say that okay by the way tragically uh, he he revealed that he was a lost person and had no Uh, spiritual life in him whatsoever Uh, um, I remember one time uh, uh, one one of the other temptations let me say this is that we mix worldly wisdom with spiritual truth sometimes and we come up with this amalgamation Uh, the 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 proper term for this is syncretism we have a little dab here and a little dab here there's this guy, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Uh, I was, I was uh, speaking about ministering to others and being actively involved in other people's lives. And he came to me afterwards and he said, hey, that was good stuff. I, I just want to tell you something. Um, he was recovering from a heart attack, by the way. And he said, I can't do any of that. And I said, why? And he said, because I heard on Dr. Oz that I, to, in order to recover, I need to stay away from all the negative people in my life. Like Who is Dr. Oz? <laughs> could, could you imagine Jesus doing that? I'm a, God told me, Dr. Oz told me, Jesus, that I need to stay away from all the negative people in my life. That wouldn't work out well for any of us, would it? And so we don't, we don't want to mix these things together. We, we want to inform ourselves through the Word of God. Look, the church needs to be a place where God's Word has supreme authority. Where church life is controlled and decisions are guided by God's word. It's so easy for us to compromise on the word and take on worldly values and worldly methods. In reality, scripture is not that complicated. If we're all trying to follow scripture, divisions aren't going to be a problem. The problem comes when we're trying to win on every issue. And so when the church decides to depend upon the gospel and the Holy Spirit for ministry, what does it look like? Well, look at the second half of verse number 18 real quick. Look at it. What does it say? When a church decides to depend upon the gospel and the Holy Spirit for ministry, what does it look like to the world? Foolishness. But what does God think? Well, look at verse number 19, first half. The wisdom of the world is is folly with God. Now let me summarize it this way. What is he saying? If believers then are going to be wise during this present era, they are joining forces with those who deem the cross to be foolishness. And they may think, to borrow a contemporary term, that they're on the right side of history, but they are actually on the wrong side of history. And in order to avoid division at Providence Bible Church, we need to think properly about the human wisdom, but we secondly need to think properly about God's wisdom. Now, I love these verses. Let's read this, and then I'm going to unpack and explain this to you. Verse number 19. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written. Now, this is an Old Testament quote. He catches the wise in the craftiness, and again, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Now, Paul makes a statement here, and then he backs it up with two Old Testament citations. What is his statement? He says the wisdom of this world is, can I use the word futile? It's folly with God. Now, this is very, very important. Please listen. What what he is saying is, He is not saying merely that God considers the wisdom of this world to be foolish. What he is arguing is that God actually makes the wisdom of this world foolishness. Let me show you this. Turn to Job chapter 5 and verse number 13. This is your first quote. Okay, your first quote. Job 5, 13. This This is what he says. Job 5.13, he catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. Now, these are the words of Job's friend Eliphaz. Eliphaz ultimately had everything wrong about God, but he made some true statements, and this is one of them they re- represent a general truth about God. The point of the citation is that according to the designs of God, the intelligence of the wicked proves to be their undoing. Let me let me give you a beautiful illustration from the Bible. Do you remember the story of Esther? Esther was was married to the emperor. She had an uncle named Mordecai. Mordecai refused to pay obeisance to a a Moabite named Haman. And Haman was one of the people that were uh, trying to be wiped out, excuse me, was supposed to be wiped out and wasn't. And so he hated the Jews. When he saw Mordecai, a daily reference or daily reminder how much he hated the Jews, he had, by his own wisdom, a scheme in mind to get all the Jews executed. Remember that? And he thought in his scheme, man, this is the perfect plan. You know, he's thinking, is it the 18 that you say, I love it when the plan comes together? Well, that's what he was saying, particularly that night when Esther invited him in the, in the emperor to a banquet and then he realized that his plan wasn't so good did he and the end of the story is that Haman using worldly wisdom was hung on his own gallows that he had built to hang Mordecai because he hated Mordecai that bad and God uses the wisdom of this world against them and ultimately his own cunning condemned himself. Well, the second quotation is from Psalm 94 and verse number 11. So please turn there. Psalm 94 and verse number 11. Psalm 94, 11 says this. The Lord knows the thoughts of a man that they are but a breath. Now, now Paul says it a little bit differently, right? He says futile and the word here is breath, the word in in the Hebrew language, breath, remember Hebrew has a range of meanings for every word, and one of the meanings can be futility. And that's what he's saying. And so, listen, to say that the Lord knows the thoughts of the worldly wise, that they are futile, does not mean that God recognizes that their thought is futile. It, It actually... Is more than that. That word knows. So you can turn back now to First uh, Corinthians chapter three, verse number twenty. That word knows in the Old Testament that we just read, often means that God ordains or chooses a person for a course of action. Jacob, or I mean Abraham, I have known. Do you remember how Jesus quote, or Paul quoted um, the Lord? He said, "Jacob, I have known." Esau, I have what? Okay, known, loved, same thing, and hated. The the word there, when you see in the Old Testament, a lot of times the word known means that I've already intended a course of action for this person. It's their destiny. And so when Paul says that the Lord ordains that the thoughts of the worldly wise will not be productive, instead of arriving at the truth, Um, they will find out that actually what they believe is false. And so in the coming chapters, and I I want everybody to listen, in the coming chapters, we're going to talk about some hard topics. Doesn't 1 Corinthians have hard topics? I mean, it does. Sexual immorality, um, marriage, um, the role of women in the church, lawsuits, forms of idolatry, Uh, perversions of the Lord's Supper, and and all sorts of other topics. And we, as a church, will need to decide if we are going to give in to the spirit of the age, which says that these things are stupid and foolish and backward, or do we follow God's wisdom? That's the choice we're going to have to make as a church. To follow God's wisdom may seem foolish and old-fashioned and out-of-date, but ultimately... God regards that as wisdom, and he's going to reward us. And so there's these great redemptive reversals going on. So if we're going to avoid wisdom or division, we're going to have to think properly about human wisdom. We're going to have to think properly about God's wisdom, and we're going to uh, make sure that we don't give special loyalty to human leaders. Look at verse number 21. So let no one boast in men. Now, remember, the problem is that they're divided. I'm following Paul. I'm following Apollos. I'm following Cephas. And we we talked about all that before. These human shepherds, these pastors were divinely ordained sources of human blessing or spiritual blessing. And they should be recognized as blessings from God. But they are not to be revered like the Lord. Could you imagine being in the Corinthian church? Think with me for just a minute. I mean, what kind of a a heritage is that? We had Apostle Paul as our founding pastor. Wouldn't that be cool? No, you got Jared. Isn't that good enough? (laughs) I'm not founding, but but you're dealing with Jared now. I know what you're saying. Oh, please, Lord, come quickly. And then, if, if that's not good enough... Peter, I mean, you've got most of the New Testament between those two guys, don't you? They were pastors of the church. And then, Paul wasn't that eloquent, and I don't know what Peter's speech pattern was like, but by all accounts, Apollos had a golden tongue. They They had literally the cream of the crop in that church. And they developed loyalties, and they developed um, unhealthy loyalties. Now, I, I could just see a conversation. You remember back when when Paul founded this church? Weren't those great days? Yeah, they were. But man, Paul had this annoying speech tick that I just couldn't stand. You know. But man, Apollos, can that guy preach? Those were great days. I will never love somebody as much as I did Apollos. We can't afford to decide that we're only going to read the Gospels or read the Psalms. Paul wrote part of the New Testament. Peter wrote part of the New Testament. And both of those gentlemen referred all the way back to all kinds of scriptures in the Old Old Testament. And so we need to make sure that we're reading all of the apostles and all the Old Testament books and, and so on and so forth because all scripture is profitable. But more than that, I want you to think about this. Don't we have the greatest of access to some of the greatest contemporary preachers? I mean, think about it. I would venture to say most everybody here has some sort of a smartphone. And you can listen to anyone you want at any time you want on that smartphone. Can't you? I see one guy laughing because he doesn't. He's got a flip phone still, and I decide not to point him out. So... (laughs) Even though he was he was quite mean to me last night when we were playing a game, um, I'm going to be a Christian about this whole thing. <laughs> but think about it. We you can listen to David Jeremiah anytime you want, right? But you shouldn't listen to only David Jeremiah, and you should not make his word gospel. We have <laughs> we have access to Alister Begg, one of my favorites. But we shouldn't listen to just Alister Begg because sometimes he's wrong. Don't, don't think worse of me, but I don't agree with everything David Jeremiah and Alistair Begg says. And you shouldn't walk around thinking John MacArthur's a grumpy old man. <laughs> okay, like some people do. And his word's not gospel either, but we have these wonderful men that God has gifted the church so that we can grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that this is going to sound self-serving, but believe me, this is biblical. Our first responsibility as a church and our spiritual submission should be first of all to our own pastors. But no pastor should be jealous of the spiritual blessing that somebody gets from listening to somebody who pastors another congregation. I mean, there's a tension there. So if we're going to avoid division, we need to think properly about human wisdom, think properly about God's wisdom. Don't give special loyalty to human leaders, and embrace the reality that all things are yours. This is this is really cool. Look at the verses 22 and 23. This is um, well, you'll see. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. What does that sound like, by the way? Sound like Romans, maybe? Life, or death, or any creature shall separate us from what? God's love. And Paul tells us here why we should not boast in men. To emphasize one teacher over another, get this to emphasize David Jeremiah above everybody else or Alistair Begg over somebody else or whoever. I mean, there's, there's more popular ones than that, but I'm just using those two because they're the ones I'm fam- most familiar with. To do that robs ourselves of the full wisdom of Scripture and um, being satisfied with lesser things, if I can say it that way. This, this is so good All things are yours. What in the world does that mean? Well, Paul gives three categories. What are they? All leaders. All leaders. Isn't that what he says? For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas. You realize when I study a sermon, I have 66 books at my disposal, written across 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, and some of the things in Scripture are hard to understand. And so I have other books. I have about 20, I have over 3,000 other books, actually, that I have reference to. Tom, Tom Schreiner, Brian Rosner, Derek Prime, John Calvin, uh, Charles Spurgeon. And I could go on and on and on. And these men are, are given to the church to help us understand and obey scripture what a blessing these men are i'll give you another name that most of you don't know you ready rea bar david that's the guide that i was using over in israel hands down i have never heard a bible teacher quite like him i'm probably the most gifted bible teacher i've ever heard in my entire life and God, he has been gifted by God, and his burden is to share with pastors what the Bible looks like from an Eastern mindset and in the setting of, of Israel. And he, he has helped me so much understanding Hebrew Scriptures and the Gospel. He's, he's, he's brilliant, and he's been given to help the church. And we've got this whole wide spectrum of help. Why would we focus on one person? And this is my guy. Secondly, all life in the world. Look at what he says. He says, the world or life or death or present or future. Now, what does he mean by that? He's using language reminiscent of Romans 8.38. I already said that. Where he affirms that nothing can separate us from God's love. For I'm sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. And some of the things that Paul mentions in in 1 Corinthians 3.22 bring suffering. But he's not claiming that everything in life is pleasant. Instead, his point is that everything in life is for our benefit. Have you ever thought that even death is for our benefit? you ever thought about that? Heather and I were laughing yesterday. Uh, Tim Hawkins has a, has a little uh, short blurb about what he wants at his funeral. And he was actually, the point was that for a Christian, death is for our benefit. Unless we're raptured, we will all have to pass through death. But we will pass through it as its master and not its slave. All death, think about this, all death can do to the believer is to deliver him to Jesus Christ. Oh, what a blessing. All death can do is deliver us into eternity, the eternal presence. And that's how Paul could say, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For the Christian, death only mean makes things better. For God's people, this present life is good, but death offers in, in, in an eternal life which is better. And then he says, all the things present. All the joys, all the pains, all the sufferings, the pleasant things of life, the sicknesses and sorrows of life, all of these things are ours, and they make us richer spiritually. And all things future are are, are, are That's hard to say, are ours. The good things in this life are only a glimpse of what is to come. And so how can we content ourselves with temporal things when there's so much at our disposal in eternity to look forward to. And what a what a blessing we have. Let me give you one last thing. I'm gonna wrap this thing up quickly. Ready? The last thing to avoid division in the church is to realize that we are gods. Look at 23, 22 and 23 there. All our yours and you are God's. Christ and Christ is God's. You are possessed by God. You are God's child. You are God's possession. And Paul emphasizes once again that all these things are ours. And then he says that we're Christ and Christ is God's. And rather than focus on the differences, make it a point to focus on Christ. You are Christ. I'm reminded of the high priestly prayer of Jesus when I when I read this. John 17, I love this. I read this all the time. I, I've quoted it a lot here already. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. For they are yours. He's talking about you and I. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine. And go, look at what happens I am glorified in them. Do you not want God to be glorified in your life? Don't you want God glorified in the way that you serve others, in the way that you speak to others, in the way that you worship on Sunday morning, in the way that you train your kids throughout the week, in the way that you perform your work, in the way that you relate to your neighbor, in the way that you go through sorrow, in the way that you go through joy, and on and on and on. You are Christ's possession so that you can glorify him. And one day when you get to heaven, he will look at you and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You and I pray, I pray that in 20 years we can look back together and see a rich spiritual heritage that God has allowed Providence Bible Church to have. Sending men and women in ministry, helping strengthen other churches, and evangelizing the lost. And that can only happen when we keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and off of other men and women. When we place our allegiance with God, and remember that human leaders are just that. They're human leaders. And when we realize the richness of our blessings in Jesus Christ, we will not be divided, and God will be glorified. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to contribute to that? I certainly hope you do. Lord, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his humility, his candidness, and we thank you most of all for your Holy Spirit and the way that you have given scriptures to us. Lord, we pray that um, we will make sure that we have a biblical mind about spiritual ministry, a biblical mind about human leaders and human ideas. And Lord, that we will realize that we are your possession in the good times and the bad, in in the difficulties and in the the good times, the easy times. And that we will glorify you no matter what. And Lord, I really do pray. I pray that we will have a rich spiritual heritage in the years to come. One of unity in ministry and looking outside of ourselves and not one of a division and inwardly focused. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.